glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. First John chapter 4, beginning verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world. And the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And now I think it's very interesting once again how many times we find the command to love and the, the, the command at the same time to exercise judgment good judgment uh, in the same context. So for instance, 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, Romans chapter 12, verse 9, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. You say, why are we going through this again? Why would we say that again? Because the definition of the world, let me, let me put it to you this way. I, I read a quote from a man the other day, and this was his concept of, of um, what it meant to be moral and kind. He said, I don't care if you are white or black, straight or gay, lesbian. And he goes through a whole list of things. If you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. Now, that is a worldly concept of love. I don't care what you are. I, it doesn't matter to me if you're destroying yourself. It doesn't matter to me if you're destroying everybody around you. If you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ said, love your enemies. Meaning, we're supposed to still value a person regardless of what they're doing, but if we love them, may I say this? You cannot love people without learning to hate sin. Love, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave that which is good. John has just given some instruction about making a distinction between those that are in the family of God and those that are out of the family of God. It had nothing to do with not loving people, but love always, as we'll see in a little bit, Charity rejoices in the truth. What we're told in our culture in our day that love is blind. So what love does is I don't see. If you're doing something that's wrong, I don't see it. I pretend that there is no distinction between good and evil because if you're doing evil and if I say that, you'll feel bad and that's not love. And so this is why I say again, it's very important for us to have a proper comprehension of what love is. Love is not, as the culture in our time is defining it, as turning a blind eye to evils, but understanding there's a distinction between good and evil. We must make a judgment concerning that and that the only hope for man is Jesus Christ to be purified, cleansed from their sin, forgiven for their sin. You and I, if we get a false definition of love, will never witness to a dying world like we should. Because what we'll do is we'll say things to make them feel good and like us rather than speaking the truth to them in love 
And so then, you'll find truth and love are inseparable even in this very text where John says, you've got to be discerning and discriminating in your mind as to who is in the family of God and who is not. And then he says, uh, concerning us especially, he's not saying don't love other people, but again, to God's people in the family of God, we are told over and over that we are to love one another. Now, let's go through through this. In the New Testament, it's the only time those words are found, love one another, in the New Testament. You'll never find it in the Old Testament, not that the concept is not there, but the phrase is not. And so the idea of loving one another, you won't find it until the end of the book of John. It's there, John 13, when Jesus is uh, preparing his disciples for his departure, and he tells them in John 13, he tells them in John 15 repeatedly that they are to love one another. And, of course, what he said to them, he's saying to us. He made that very clear. That was an eternal commandment for the people of God. So we're to love one another. But the phrase is found 13 times in your New Testament between John and Revelation. 13 times in 12 different verses. Ten of those 13 times, the penman is John. Now, how many of us remember what John referred to himself as? He was who? The disciple whom Jesus loved. There is no mistake in understanding when you grasp the love of God for you, that is when you will be able to grasp what it means to love someone else. You and I do not naturally love anybody. Let me say this. We meet unsaved people. We say they're so loving. May I say, they may be nice, they may be generous, but the world does not know how to love. You hear what I'm just saying? Lost people do not love anybody. See, why do you say that? Because that's what the Bible says. Someone says, well, I know someone that's unsaved, they're not a believer in Jesus Christ and they love. No, you know someone that knows how to seem like they love. You know someone that knows how to mimic somebody else that loves, but the Bible makes, if if whatever that lost person's doing is what we define as love, we have a wrong definition of love. We think love is liking someone. Love is kind, but kindness is not always love. Don't miss what I just said. Love is kind. Charity is kind. But just because someone's kind doesn't mean that they're loving. I may be nice to you because I want something from you. That's not love. Flattery will tell you things you love to hear. The strange woman is so effective in destroying souls because... She puts on, she flatters. One of the characteristics of the strange woman is she tells men what they want to hear and they they compute that as, she loves me. Now, in the book of Revelation, there is religion that's called the great whore. May I say this? There's religion today, churches today, claiming to be the bride of Jesus Christ. They're nothing more than a strange woman that tell people what they like to hear in order to seduce them. That's why these texts are together. Don't be seduced by flattering lips. Know what it means to love. And John's going to take the rest of 1 John 4 to explain what love is. And love is, is, is essentially personified in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That's love. That's the definition of love, and that is the definition we must work off of. And I believe as we go to 1 Corinthians 13 and, and consider once again what is stated there, you'll see the characteristics of 1 Corinthians 13 demonstrated in the coming and the giving of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go over to 1 Corinthians 13 now. Very simple message tonight because of how familiar we are with this, but nonetheless, I'm convinced I could preach this text, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8, once every 30 days, and it would do us no harm at all. I might be able to preach it once every 14 days, and it would do us no harm at all. It would do us well to ponder on it every day. 
1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning verse 1. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though, now this is what we normally think charity is, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Now we're going to define it. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Verse 13 says, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Now, God, when there are times in the Bible, God leaves some things a little bit obscure uh, so that we have to seek wisdom further, and no doubt we have to seek wisdom in every portion. But how, how clear is it that charity or us loving one another as we have been loved is important to our God? Now, when he says, let us love one another, he's talking about especially in the family of God. Now, we're to, we are to love again. We're to love our enemies. We are to love and to pray for them. But it's not the same kind of love in this sense. God repeatedly commands us in his family as his children to love one another. As I said, John had just stated this in chapter 3. I have an entire message I preached on it just a few weeks back on loving one another. Then it's going to be repeated again. Therefore, if it's repeated twice in a couple of chapters, and the Apostle John repeated in his books over and over, I'm going to assume that God knew that we needed to hear it over and over and over and over and over and over. God doesn't repeat everything over and over. But this, he repeats it over and over, and he repeats it in so many different ways that it can leave no question in the mind that if I'm not loving one, the other of God's people, other members of God's family, I am in sin as a child of God. Period. May I say this? Uh, people today, I, I, let me back up just a little bit. As I read through what charity is, I think, you know what? This alone would fix the question of what many people call standards in the Christian life. When the Bible says it behaveth not itself unseemly, that means it doesn't only refrain from what is inherently evil, it refrains from anything that is that is out of place or disorderly or even appears to be evil. If you want to know, may I say this, the more you love God and the more you love people, the more you're going to have to tell yourself no. And in essence, when we speak of a Christian standard, for instance, meaning a standard is a line that I draw and say, I won't go beyond that. I won't do that. I won't go there. I won't listen to that. Uh, it's lines of, of, it's where we say, this is where I say no to myself. Is that not really what a standard is? 
This, this is, it's, it's the definition of what I allow or do not allow in my life. Well, what is to be the underpinning of such allowances or lack thereof? Right here. Charity. If a person learns to love God, they have to learn to love people. That's what 1 John 4 says. If a man says, I love God who he has not seen, but he doesn't love his brother who he has seen, he's a liar. Uh, he's a liar. And so... Uh, we need, as I said at the beginning, need to have a very good understanding then of what charity is. Let's consider three things from this text about charity that I'm, again, I know I've considered before, but I want us to consider once again the priority God places on charity in verses 1 through 3. The priority God places on charity. You realize the Corinthian church was carnal. And so in their carnality, they really emphasized the things that they thought distinguished them from uh, each other. They compared themselves among themselves, Second Corinthians would warn, and that was not wise. They gloried in flesh. They thought as from a mere human or earthly standpoint. And so what happened is they began to really glory in the spiritual gifts. And so one person could speak tongues and they thought they were superior and more spiritual than another. Uh, another person... Um, perhaps could exhort and another person understood prophecy, whatever it was. And that's why Paul puts this in the context he does. He says, look, you may have whatever gift of the Spirit of God God gave you and you may have the ability to exercise it with tremendous uh, tremendous skill, but if you don't have charity, it's absolutely useless. It kind of be like saying, you know what? You may have the nicest wheels on your car. They may be a $3,000 set of custom wheels. You may have the nicest set of tires. Uh, you may have the nicest paint job. You may have the newest model of vehicle. But if you don't have an engine, it means nothing. You can have all this stuff, Christian speaking wise. You can have, the, this, this is what tells me this. You can have the indwelling Holy Spirit You can have the gifts of the Spirit. You can be exercising your spiritual gifts in the local church and be spinning your wheels and wasting your life. It is possible to be born again, have the indwelling Holy Spirit, have gifting from God, and have no reward in heaven. Meaning God's giving us the the, the solution here to how to make sure you have treasure in heaven. The motivating factor has to be right. The heart has to be pure. May I say this tonight? You, you, you and I can sit here and we don't have to use our imagination very long to think of how we've seen this demonstrated. Some of the very things we're going to read. And so first of all, he tells us this. Without charity, my words, the, the gifts of speech, my words are vain. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. He said, so some of you, you feel like you're speaking with an angelic tongue. Uh, if you're not doing it for the right reason, you're just making a lot of noise. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal, meaning you can be and I can be the greatest orator. You know this as well as I do. We've heard preachers who could just expound the word of God. They had brilliant minds, a tremendous oratory. But you try to meet that person I remember an evangelist years ago, and before he would come to your church, he required a minimum amount of love offering. I remember a pastor saying, I never have a man come. Never, not ever. And I agree, 
Me, I won't come if I don't have at least a $600 love offering. Or five. The man was a tremendous speaker, but there was a, some charity missing there. And so what God says, if you and I, please bear this in mind. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, there are people in this room. I love when we're dealing with, with, a, with a group of people, and not everybody in this room fits this criteria, but there are second and third and probably fourth generation Christians sitting in this room. The amount of Bible knowledge that is sitting inside this room tonight should be able to turn the world upside down. Now, I understand they've got to receive the Bible knowledge, but if it was just based on Bible knowledge... I believe we could sit here and quote memory verses for hours just based on, if, if you said, all you got to do is quote a portion of a verse. You don't have to say the reference. How long could we go? And you may have the ability to say, you know, I've been really studying and training and doing some training on how to witness to people. I'm going to tell you something. Witnessing with charity and stumbling all over yourself, meaning I want to talk to that person about their soul because I believe with all my heart what God says about His Son, Jesus Christ, and I know that if they don't believe it, they're going to die. And you may be able to stumble over your verses and forget the references, but your heart is filled with love for God and your heart is filled with love for them. That's a lot better than being a hypocrite in the workplace, living by double standard and being able to eloquently tell them how to be saved. You and I both know you can be as eloquent as you want to be with your coworker, but if you're a fraud in front of them, your words are nothing but noise. Now, when they know you love them, when they know you care about them, that it breaks your heart that they may die and go to hell because they've rejected Jesus Christ. Now, you'll get their ear, and it may take you some years to convince them that you love them. But I'm just trying to say tonight, if I as a preacher live willy-nilly when it comes to my care for the Lord and my care for you and my family, but I can stand up here and, boy, I can preach and give you a good outline, it's nothing but noise. Sounding brass, tinkling cymbal. How many like to hear a brass? No, it's irritating. Some people say, I don't know why nobody wants to listen to me when I witness to them. Maybe they pick up on the fact we couldn't care less about them. We're just going through emotion and doing what we're supposed to do so we can say, I've done it. Maybe they're constantly telling us to shut up and leave them alone because we're nothing more than a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Yes? See what I'm saying? Charity is a priority. God says without it, you can speak with the tongues of men and of angels. You can have the most eloquent speech and be the greatest articulator. But without charity, means nothing. So number one, he uses that illustration when it comes to the speaking gifts. He says, if you don't couple the speaking gifts with charity, then your words are vain. Number two, without charity, I am vain. I'm a nobody. I'm nothing. You realize tonight we can possess great spiritual gifts? Let me ask you this. Is it possible? Let me just pick on we preachers. Let's say as a preacher, a man gets to the point where uh, he he is in high demand because... Uh, he is such a great speaker and, and uh, he has such a grasp on Bible knowledge. So it says, and though I have the gift of prophecy, that's the ability to declare God's word, uh, whether foretelling or forthtelling, and understand all mysteries, so you're able to take the scripture and unfold it and say this is what it means, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith. Here's a person who God is blessing their ministry. They're like George Mueller. They pray and God answers. Is it, is it possible for a George Mueller to be a nothing? Say, no, the man lived by faith. Well, God says you can have all of that and still be nothing. It says, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries 
and all knowledge, and do I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity? I am nothing, which means you don't count. I don't know about you. I don't want to end my life having not counted from God's perspective. And I believe these words have to be given to us because if I, we, we begin to measure men and ministries, including ourselves, the wrong way. We begin to measure men and ministries by abilities. There's a lot of ability in this room tonight. I, I believe that. But charity is more important than ability. Ability is needful. God enables us to serve. But charity is more important than ability. He says, without charity, my words are nothing. Without charity, even though I have the greatest of gifts and I exercise those, yet if I have not charity, I am nothing. I'm a zero. Number three, verse three. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. What if someone said, boy, I would really want to talk to you about the man John Huss and how he stood for God and what a great man of God he was. And I say, no, no, his life was no profit whatsoever. You say, he was burned at the stake. Yeah, but that doesn't count. Is it, I mean, is it possible to be such a giver that you would even give your own life to be burned at the stake and it not count in eternity? God says so. And we've been through this before, but, you know, is it possible to give 60% of your income all your Christian life and it not count? It is. What? If it's not based on charity. If it is done without charity, meaning if it's for some other reason, and we all can, again, we can understand why. There's a lot of philanthropists in our nation today, are there not? A lot of philanthropists. Many of them are great at philanthropy because it's a great tax cut. Well, that's not charity. That's not giving. You may I see that there are others who give to soothe their conscience. There are others who feel guilty for having too much, so they give to ease their conscience. That's not charity. Can I repeat that? Giving to make myself feel better is not charity. That's not charity either. Uh, there are those who give to get out of another task, meaning I'll, I'll give. Uh, I'll give something great so I don't have to go do this something small. That's not charity. For instance, let me put it like this. Let's say one of my children is needing some time with me. I begin to sense that and perceive that. I think, you know what? I don't really want to take the time for them. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a $10 bill in their hand so I don't have to take the time. That'll appease them. That'll make them happy for the moment. That'll make them not so upset. And here, here's 10 bucks. Go get you some ice cream and a pizza. That's not charity. I didn't just give, I just bribed. We may do it in the family of God. We may say, well, I'll I'll give this or I'll give that because I don't want to do this. That's not charity. I'm just trying to give some examples of what we can do that is not charity. And some people, because they feel so guilty, are great givers. You ever seen parents do that? Man, they, they just lay the gifts on their children because they feel guilty for the way they didn't raise them. That's not right. It's not charity. And it's not right with us and God. We have somehow failed to fulfill a responsibility that he gave us. He said, well, I'll give instead. I'll give instead. No, no, no. no. These are the sacrifices of God. A broken, a contrite spirit. That's what God wants. That's what produces charity. Is when I'm broken and dependent on God and used of Him to serve others in the way that He wants me to, 
If I'm doing what I'm doing for the praise of men, we know that's not charity. And so the priority of charity is this. Without charity, my words are vain, no matter how well they're given. Without charity, my gifts of prophecy or knowledge or faith or mysteries uh, make me... I'm a nobody. These are the things we admire often in people when we see them exercise, if it's not with charity. And then without charity, my giving is worthless. Even if it be my own body to be burned, if it's not done with charity. And again... This is why this pricks my conscience. What this tells us, these things can be done without charity. They can be done for selfish and prideful motives. And so then that's the priority of charity. Number two, the practicality of it. God doesn't want us sitting here scratching our heads saying, well, what is it? This charity, what does it mean to love somebody? Uh, I mean, how does this look and what does it look like? And I believe a number of things God says are there to be, okay, let let me put it this way. They're going to tell you right now, I went in the hospital today, made my visit. When I go in every week, I have to sign a paper. I have no new symptoms. They want to know, do I have a sore throat? I lost my sense of smell and taste. Am I running a fever? So they, take my, they take my temperature. They ask me these questions. I answer the questions. There are a number of symptoms that they identify with having COVID-19, right? They say, if you got the fever above this, and if you have a sore throat for this many days, and if you have a cough or this, all these things put together. And they say, well, you probably have it. Well, I believe these things are here to define what charity is and what it is not. So we can say these are the symptoms of not having charity. May I say this? If I envy someone tonight, I need some help. Then I may be serving God, but if I've got envy in my heart towards somebody, and we'll go through all these things, but it's very practical. So beginning in verse 4, it says this, Charity suffereth long. Charity suffereth long. May I say this? The greatest source of your suffering in this life is going to come from fellow human beings. That's the way it is. Your deepest pain will come from people. The Bible says that Jesus endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Animals don't sin. People do. And so then, if you study the life of our Lord Jesus Christ... I want you to think about those that were nearest and dearest to him, those that walked with him every day. That was his disciples. Do you think they ever caused him pain? Constantly. They were a constant burden on him because they were his ministry. Peter was always, as you well know, getting out ahead of him, trying to tell him he was wrong. Uh, Thomas was not ever believing him, doubting him. When it came down to the moment of truth when he needed them to be loyal to him, they all ran. Charity suffereth long. By the way, I have just found by personal experience, about the time I think I'm long-suffering, God reminds me my definition of long is pretty short. You with me? You think you've suffered long. Here's what happens. The opposite of long-suffering is impatient. Impatient. I'm not... Look, tolerance of sin is sin. I'm not talking about partaking in other men's sins. I'm talking about giving time for God to work on people and for people to respond to him. May I ask you something? How long should we witness to a lost person before we say enough? I believe this from the Bible, until they say no more. I got people today I'm witnessing to, and I'm not your perfect example. I'm just telling my own life, going on five or six years. Now, I got news for you. I wanted these people to get saved five years ago. But they're still willing to listen. 
And they're still willing to take the Word of God. And they're still willing to be told, you know what, here's the way of salvation. My point is this, God has to work on people. When it comes to, may I say this, some of your deepest pain will come from saved people. I wish it weren't that way, but Paul said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. I don't believe he said that in malice or bitterness. I believe he said it in it's a reality. One of his close working companions just quit and took off because he loved the world more than he loved God. You think that hurt Paul? Paul is in 2 Timothy 4 at the end of his ministry, and you know who's with him? Luke. Where's everybody else? He ran so short of labors, he had to scatter Timothy and Titus and guys everywhere else, and Demas had quit, and this one had quit. (laughs) I'm just telling you, charity suffereth long. Charity puts up with a lot. Charity is willing to to bear some things. It suffers long. It's long-suffering. We find that in our Lord. How long has He suffered with us? How long has He been working on a character deficiency in your life? How many of you, if you just be honest tonight, you say, I have a character deficiency. Something I know is not right. I want it to be right, but I would have to testify God has been working on on that in my life as long as I can remember. Anybody? Now, who do you think wants that fixed more, you or him? Then why didn't he just quit and just call you on home? Because he suffereth long. Charity suffereth long and is kind. I don't think it's on accident that word is next. I might say, well, it's wrong to quit on people, so I'll keep it up, but not because I like it and not because I like you. (laughs) Charity suffereth long and is kind. Now, let's, let's get the definition of the word kind. I want to read it to you, if I might, from the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Uh, the word kind means disposed to do good to others. Disposed to do good to others and to make them happy by granting their request. Now, you're going to have to have some safeguards on that. You'll find that in the remaining definition of charity. Okay, You can't always make people happy by giving them what they want. You get into trouble that way. But it means especially disposed to do good to others, having tenderness or goodness of nature, benevolent, uh, uh, the idea of being benign, so you're not, you're not dangerous to people, all right? Supplying their wants or assisting them in distress. Wants means their needs or assisting them in distress. The charitable person is looking for a deficiency in someone else that I can meet and is ready to take advantage of that. Right Now, people may not let you do that, but charity suffers long and is kind. Kindness has the idea of, I believe if, from the definition, a readiness to serve others. A readiness to serve others. Uh, I heard a preacher preaching last night. He's been at it longer than I have, quite a bit longer than I have. And he was talking about his city, and he said, nothing has ever, he said, the, the, the more my city uh, goes along, he's in a big city preaching and pastoring, he said, it wants to steal my heart for winning souls away. He said, I've never had a time where I want to just be hard against sinners. He said, they're awful, and it's true. I sat with a young man last night in jail, and he's just, he has wrecked and ruined his life, and he's nasty. I'm just being straight with you. He's nasty. When he's in there and when he's out here, he's nasty. How do you be kind to that? It's not by nature, I promise you. Charity suffereth long and is kind. 
And so then we move forward. So charity suffereth long and is kind. Verse 4. Charity envieth not. Charity envieth not. I, I wish I had written it down but heard a definition of envy the other day. And the idea of envy is not necessarily... Jealousy and envy are double first cousins, but they're not the same thing. Jealousy says, I don't like you because you have something or you are something I don't like. Envy says, because you have it, I hate you and I want to damage you for it. I heard a man preaching on this whole critical race theory and he was explaining how so much of it is rooted in envy. I'm not content for you to have something or have more than I do, whether it be physically or spiritually or opportunity-wise. I'm not content to do that. I'm not content until you're destroyed because of it. Charity envieth not. Charity doesn't look at another person in the church and say they get more opportunities to serve and I don't like them because of that. I despise them because of that. Uh, you don't, you, uh, young lady doesn't look at another young lady and say, she's prettier than me. She was, she was made to look nicer than me by nature and she was raised differently than me and I can't stand her because of that. Charity envieth not. Uh, charity does not despise another person because they have something I don't. Uh, may I say this? You know why these words are in our Bible written to Christians? Because we have an old nature that's not kind, it's impatient, and it envies people when they have something or are something we are not. Now, underneath envy is that root sin called pride. I cannot bear to think you would have an advantage over me. And so then, but charity, charity envieth not. You could read in your own time, James chapter 3, verse 17, on down to the end of that chapter, for what the Bible says about wisdom from the above is first pure, then peaceable, and it envieth not. So if it's from above, it does not involve envy. So charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Charity does not go around self-promoting. Charity vaunteth not. The idea of vaunt is to put forward or to lift up. Charity vaunteth not itself. And, you know, we, we think of, how many, how many of us know there are people that in our mind that just immediately come to mind, yeah, I know so-and-so, they're always talking about themselves. Well, we really all do if we don't let the Spirit of God take control of our mouth. Some people are just blatant about it. They come out and say, hey, uh, you know, let me tell you what I did today. Let me tell you how well I did on my job today. You know, I'm doing so well on my job, they're talking about promoting me. And by the way, it's not wrong to share information like that with people that will rejoice with you, rejoice with them that rejoice. But everywhere you go, you're talking about how well things are going for you. You know, I got this is going for me, and I got this is going for me, and man, I got this. And what we're insinuating is, I'm obviously doing a lot of things right. But the longer you're saved, the more clever you get about that. You know, you, you, it, here's the thing. Charity does not make me the center of everything. Now, by nature, friends, that's what we do. I'm the center of everything because my world revolves around me and my mind. But that's not right. Charity does not sit here and try. Here's what, here's what sin does. Here's what pride does. When I leave the room, I want you to think I'm the best person in the room. When I leave the room, I want, I want everyone to leave thinking, wow, about that person, right? They're me. But see, charity doesn't walk in thinking, uh, by the way, one of the greatest signs that I'm not doing well spiritually is I'm so attuned. What is everybody thinking about me? And I believe that's fairly natural, but God has to help us overcome that and think, but what does he think? And how are my actions, my words, my decisions affecting you? I believe this. When the Spirit of God takes control, you walk into a room and you're about to say something. He says, wait a second. You think, oh, if I said that, here's, here's the effect it would have. No, no, no. 
Charity thinks, what are my words, actions, attitudes, and deeds going to do to others? Not what are my words and actions and deeds going to do to me. What are they going to do to you? Charity vaunteth not itself. It's not about self-promotion because it's not puffed up. Charity is not inflated with a false sense of who I am. You see, because charity rejoices in the truth, you can't get puffed up when you rejoice in the truth. I'll just say that again and again. The, the best way to kill pride is be honest. Just be truthful. How many of you got up this morning, you were a super saint when your feet hit the floor. Oh, I just love hours of prayer and Bible reading and communion with God is my favorite thing to do. Just by nature, I mean, I breathe it. Look, love it and enjoy it. I believe you can. But if you be honest, there was something in you that said, boy, you know, I kind of don't want to do that. There's a dread for doing anything spiritual and there's a love for doing anything carnal in your nature. So the best way to be charitable is tell the truth about that and say, no, this old boy, if there's, <laughs> if there's anything super, then that was on a day when I was more surrendered to God than before. The only thing that allows us to do anything worthwhile is surrendering to God and letting Him lead in our lives because when we take control, we mess things up. It's just a truth. But charity, charity vaunteth not itself, meaning charity is not impressed with oneself. And if I'm not impressed with me, I'm not going to try to get you impressed with me. Right? Listen, we may have the, the greatest of skills, but the honest soul says, but I know who gave me that. And you don't just say it, you believe it. That the one who gave it could take it away tomorrow if he chose. So I better use it the way he wants me to. Charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up. In essence, charity is not self-centered. And, oh, how much does this fly in the face of our culture? Everything in the culture is about making you happy, making you look good. I believe the Lord's model prayer begins with, Hallowed be thy name for this reason. We have got to be taught to seek the glory and honor of God's name because if not, we'll seek our own. We have got to live our lives this way. I'm a representative of my Father in heaven. My life is going to reflect on Him. Lord, may I live today in a way that people think more highly of you than they did before because of me. You with me? And so then charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up. Verse 5, doth not behave itself unseemly. That word unseemly means inappropriately. How many understand that inappropriate is different than forbidden? Okay, there are things that are forbidden. But there are some things that are just inappropriate, meaning they're not, they don't, they, they're not in, in line with what we're trying to accomplish. And so then somebody will get into trouble like this to say, well, you know, I'm emailing a friend, but we're not, you know, we're just old high school friends. And, and, and we're not doing anything, we're not talking about anything bad, we're just, it's an old friend. Well, how's that make your wife feel? Well, that really secures her in, in your love for her, huh? To say, well, it's not, it's not, we're not committing adultery already. Yeah, but it's inappropriate. It's unseemly. It doesn't look right. You may have the liberty to do it, but it's not expedient. And we give a number of illustrations that are just, they're not appropriate. They send the wrong message. They are, they are unbefitting and unbecoming of a Christian. See, I'm saying this charity is a higher standard than duty. Duty says, okay, what can I do without crossing the line? Charity says, I won't do anything that even 
makes someone else want to cross the line or looks like I'm dishonoring God, behaveth not itself unseemly. doesn't say doesn't, doesn't behave itself wickedly. May I say this? If you don't behave yourself unseemly, I promise you won't behave yourself wickedly. If you abstain from the appearance of evil, you'll abstain from the evil. And so then, behaveth not itself unseemly. Listen to me, especially young people tonight. When in your mind you're constantly trying to push the lines, how close to sin can I get, you're going to slide hard right into it. Because you're not operating on love. You're operating on selfishness. I want to gratify my flesh and do what feels good to me. So how close can I do that without getting caught and getting busted and getting in trouble? That's wicked not rooted in charity it's not love of god it's not love of family it's not love of god's people all that is is love of my own sensual pleasure charity behaveth not itself unseemly it doesn't even do anything that looks wrong it stays above board behaves itself listen if you love it affects your behavior my wife loves me it affects the way she behaves how she behaves herself around men has to do with her love for God and her love for her husband. It affects behaviors. Some would say, I don't know why I constantly get back in the same patterns of behavior. Because lust is running the show, not charity. When the behavior is wrong, the heart's not right. Uh, the, heart of the, issue, the heart of the issue is an issue of the heart, they like to say, and it's so very true. And so, uh, charity behaveth not itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. So it's not self-promoting, not self-centered, but it's not self-seeking. How do you know that by nature we want our own way? Where are we going to eat tonight? And we know it's the right and cordial thing to say, well, I don't know where would you like to eat. But if you're like me, you can come up with very cleverly phrased statements to get them to go where you actually want to. Right? Pastor, you're wicked. I know it. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, we have to decide, you know what, I'm not going to seek my own way. Seek of not our own. I use the illustration of a, uh, where we're going to eat. There's things a lot more important than that. You know what? You know what causes church splits? And I don't say this in a reproving manner tonight, what I'm about to say to you. But here's what does cause church splits. People seeking their own. I want this, and I want that, and I want this. And this is the kind of you know, appearance we want, and this is the kind of church we want. I want, want, want. That's what splits marriages. People seeking their own. It's as if it is about me. Who ever gets honest enough to say, that's what I'm doing, seeking my own? God has to give us a place to say, that's what I'm up to here. That's why, I'm, that's why I'm a problem, because I'm seeking my own way. I'm seeking my own pleasure. I'm seeking my own gratification. I'm seeking my own exaltation. The charity seeketh not her own. Seeketh not her own. And so then, charity seeks what God wants. Charity seeks what is beneficial to others. Seeketh not her own. Uh, verse 5, we're still there. Uh, thinketh no evil. Charity does not conjure up how to destroy things or people. Charity is constantly trying to think about how to rescue and save people, not destroy. And I'm going to tell you something. The political cycles inevitably tear down a lot of charity in our hearts. Do they not? I've heard people say something like this, and don't miss me. I believe God hates with all his heart. He hates a proud look. He hates the sin of sodomy. I understand and believe those people can get to a point where God has turned them over and there's not a place where they can turn back. I understand all what the Bible says about it. But we start saying things like this, we just need to nuke them all. Something ain't right. Truth? God says those people can get saved in spite of what people like Steve Anderson teach. 
He does say he still says, such were some of you. And such were effeminate abusers of themselves with mankind, meaning they were, but God saved them and he changed them. Right? So God does save those people in spite of what false teachers say. I just My point is, once we are thinking evil, by the way, you're going to live and breathe. some point in time, you're going to think something evil. Just know that's not charity. Repent of it and get right with God. So thinketh no evil. Verse 6, rejoiceth not in iniquity. I think that's self-explanatory. We should never rejoice in someone being deceitful. Iniquity has to do with sinning. We hear the word inequity. Same. Someone sinning and doing, you know, getting by with something. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth meaning you never have to lay truth by the way to be charitable. If you have to stop telling the truth, know that we have ceased from charity. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Uh, And then it says, beareth all things, believeth all things. It is very clear in the Bible that believeth all things there doesn't mean you're gullible and you take everything that anybody says as gospel truth. 1 John 4 deals with that. We're to try the spirits whether they be of God. I believe the, the idea of believing all things there very likely has twofold meaning. Number one, you'll believe all things that God says. Charity always operates in the realm of faith. It never, if you have to discount something God says, it's not charity. In 1 John 4, we'll deal with that because love is of God. And so if I have to believe something other than what God has said to exercise what I think is love, I'm wrong. Charity beareth all things, meaning I'll bear the burden. That's why following Christ bears a cross. I'll bear the brunt of this. May I say this? The person that forgives an offender has to bear the pain and has to pay the price. The forgiver pays the price for forgiveness. Beareth all things, believeth all things. I think the idea of believing all things as it relates to people means I am not, I'm going to give someone the benefit of the doubt until they prove me wrong. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt until they prove me wrong. Uh, because then the next word is beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things. You, you hold out hope uh, for someone, endureth all things. We, we often, in our impatient world, we don't suffer long because we can't endure much. Endureth all things. Uh, and so then this is charity. It's practical. What it is and what is not is outlined here. And then finally, the perpetuity of charity. The Bible says charity never faileth. True charity doesn't throw in the towel. That's the idea. True charity doesn't say, I will love you to this point, and then I'm done. You with me? Charity never faileth. I looked up the word faileth. It means the idea to veer off course, to give it up, to throw in the towel. That's the If I understand it correctly, meaning charity, for it to be true charity... It's something you've decided and you're not going to change on. God decided to love the world not because we were lovely. And he hasn't stopped loving the world. The message I heard preached last night, I'd never thought of this. And the man was preaching on the idea that in the tribulation period, once the church has been raptured out, there's no presence of a Bible so far as we know. The Holy Spirit is not indwelling believers. But God is still sending witnesses to preach the everlasting gospel. Have you ever noticed that in the book of Revelation? Now, if you were God and people are spitting and blaspheming your name, would you be sending any witnesses? Me either. But he does until the very end. He's still trying to save souls. That is charity. 
I'm going to tell you something. I believe in the world we live in, if we're going to love one another, and by the way, this is, this is what we're supposed to exercise and what we're supposed to have in our hearts toward one another. Look, sometimes brethren won't love you back. So at that point you say, well, then I'm free from loving them, right? No. Let us love one another. I've watched parents who love their children, and there comes a point where the child is no longer impressed with their parent. They say, well, I don't love them back. I don't care for what they're doing. I don't like them. I don't like their way, and they go their opposite way, and they live lives that are, that are disparaging to the parents, that are disheartening to the parents. But you know what? I watch those same parents do what's right, not compromise with sin, but continue to have a heart for the blessing and benefit of those children. I believe this. Where charity ceases, bitterness begins. I believe that. Where charity ceases, bitterness begins. Because if it's true charity, it doesn't cease. That's why with God, it's, it's immutable. It's in His character. But you and I, how many of us would say, based on the charity test, I pass it with flying colors. I suffer long. I'm always kind. So here's what, here's what we'll find in 1 John 4. You can have a level of charity in you, love in you, but it's not perfected, meaning it's not as matured in you as it ought to be, meaning there's room for us to grow in this matter. We can look at the definition of charity, and you can throw up your hands and say, only God. Well, that is only God. That's his character. But he wants us to conform to his character because we're in his family. Amen? Meaning, the longer I'm a Christian, the more I ought to be like the verses I just read. The more I love God, the more I become, like 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 8, or 5 through 8. Because the love of God is perfected in us. That's 1 John 4. And I say that to kind of ready us for that chapter, that there is there can be the presence of it, but there can be a lack of it. I mean, let's be honest enough tonight and say, yeah, there's some perfecting to be done in me. I'd say so. But may I say God gives us a recipe for for the perfecting of his love in our lives. And so the priority of charity. Without it, I'm vain. My words are vain. My my giving is vain. The practicality of it, we went through that in detail. Perpetuity of it, it's constant. In contrast to certain spiritual gifts, he says there are certain gifts, they're going to go away. But charity does not go away. It's eternal. It is. And by the way, I believe this. When you have got charity, when you have genuine love god will teach you how to love somebody that's why it's called agape it's unconditional i love them regardless of what i'm getting back from them i'm not loving them because they're worthy of my love i'm loving them because it's the right thing to do amen mm-hmm.